Welcome to episode 202 of the Brian Oak Show here, virtually anyway, in the Smart Start MN studios. I'm Brian Oak along with Sean Bernard. We're happy to be with you once again. And right here we find ourselves during this very intense weather transition where we saw snow and sleet yesterday. Alarming many people, despite the fact they've lived here for decades, they still can't seem to believe that snow is going to continue to happen every single year here. Now, <laughs> no accumulation on the ground and leaves are everywhere. That's the way this game works. It's worked this way every year. It should not be a surprise. But another cool thing about this time of year is the Sound Unseen oh. Music and Film Festival. Uh, we had the opportunity to talk to one of its founders, Jim Brunzel III, last week. And Jim's great, man. I've been talking to Jim for many years. I mean, we're at the 22nd year of this film festival and people who are regulars of the podcast know that this podcast, whether or not we're talking to a musician or a producer or I don't know, a roadie, right? I mean, it's not only about music, but music is the common thread, the thing that ties us together. So it's a very natural fit for us to be talking to people who are involved with Sound Unseen. Regardless of their backgrounds, this is a music-oriented film festival. Could be a documentary, could be a short story, could be a video, could be anything. And today we're lucky enough to talk to a guy whose backstory, I feel like somebody should do a documentary about him. <laughs> I, I really do. Like, I mean, like reading up on this guy and finding out more about him. Wow, uh, I'm excited about it. But Sound Unseen, after having to take a year off, is you know everything was virtual and there's still a lot of virtual components to sound unseen here in 2021 but there are screenings and there are links that you can continue to watch the films for days or weeks afterward depending on the film itself you know so you do have to buy tickets but let's be honest sean you and i have both always believed that art should be paid for right absolutely i just you know i mean like nothing's for free man and art might be more gratifying than food in often situations so it should be paid for there should be an attention to detail there and luckily with sound unseen they do such a brilliant job as we talked to jim about curating this i mean you know think about the people who poured their heart and soul into it and they weren't accepted at the film festival that's kind of the way life works right i mean but then that means what they have is the cream of the crop and today we're going to be talking about an incredible film called invisible gay women in country music you know you think about what a boys club music has always yeah. been. Then you you hyper focus on Nashville, mm. and it doesn't get much more boys club than that. Despite the numerous female stars who came out of that, that's not the way that game works. But today's guest, TJ Parcell, is going to have much more insight on that than I would ever be able to offer. Before we talk to TJ. Let's go ahead and mention our good friends at Smart Start MN. By the way, Sean, I'm sorry. I'm very remiss. Earlier today, you, along with friends, celebrated eight years on the right side of the street. You celebrated eight years of sobriety recently. Congratulations, man. Well Thanks, done. man. Yeah, Thursday of this week, I didn't go real public with it on social media or anything just because why, you know, but 
I don't know. I, I'm I'm happy about it. Been been a great life change, and yeah, it's good. Well, well done. I just I just want to say congratulations. Thank man. you, I man. I appreciate eight, it. Eight years is a massive accomplishment, and well done, and good for you. And I Thank like you. everybody everybody who decides to adopt that path. It obviously brings improvements over what was going on. Before. Just ask my wife. Oh, yeah. No, mine too. Mine too. Yeah. I remember her taking me to detox and to the hospital. And uh, yeah, no. So, I mean, again, I'm not nearly as far along the path as you are, uh, but working on it. And so congratulations to Sean. My thanks Thank to you. him for being my business partner, you know, sponsor, co-founder of this particular podcast now, 202 episodes in. And before we even recorded episode one, the good folks at Smart Start MN were the ones who jumped on board literally before they heard word one. And they've been with us ever since, coming up on nearly two years. Smart Start MN is Minnesota's original ignition interlock company. They are the ones who worked with the legislature and the judiciary to come up with a way to get you back in your vehicle when you lose your right to drive due to a DUI. Even before you're found guilty, you will lose your license. And you'll find out very quickly, even in the age of Uber or Lyft or whatever, you need to drive, they can get you back into your car sooner and more affordably than you otherwise might believe. You go to cities now, or pardon me, go to smartstartmn.com slash the Brian Oak Show, and you'll find out how to get 20% off the ignition interlock installation. Plus, you can learn a lot more about it and get your life back on the right path. And before we check in with TJ Parcell, Sean, let's all also talk about you. You know, I mean, in every you know, line of work in every worthwhile endeavor. There are ups and downs, right? And you work in realty. You work for Edina Realty, the 50th in France location. Yeah. And that's one of the most dynamic lifestyles I can possibly imagine. I wouldn't have the stomach for it, but you do. How are things going right now? They're going really well. I'm doing a show showing later today and again tomorrow. Um, it's, it's slowed down a little bit as it does this time of year, but, you know, people are still... In the market, uh, it's balancing out a little bit, which is kind of nice. Uh, remember that with every buy and sell, we donate a portion of the proceeds to a local artist or musician. And I let my clients actually decide unless they're totally clueless about music, <laughs> in which case I have a long list of artists that will gladly take a donation so they can create more. 612-859-2594 if you know somebody in the market to buy or sell. Today's guest is T.J. Bar Parcell, uh, a filmmaker, author, human rights advocate, and he has come out with a documentary uh, which has premiered recently that explores the journey of a group of gay women songwriters who have had to navigate the male-dominated and hetero-heavy wow. landscape of country music. Truly insightful, truly incisive, and very informative. And we're talking about some of the most influential songwriters of the last 20, 30, 40 years who sort of had to live in the shadows. I can't wait to talk to him about this gain more insight on this incredible subject but i saw who he featured in his in this documentary invisible gay women in country music and i have a soft spot in my heart for this first artist her name is mary gaucher spelled g-a-u-t-h-i-e-r she is wildly talented across an array of instruments but there's an insightfulness to her songwriting that i don't know i mean again we don't get to pick what we love right we don't get to pick what we find interesting or fascinating but i've always really really liked what she's done every time i've heard something new but i lost the thread for a while so when i found out we were going to be interviewing tj i went back and i started digging into some of her more recent output turns out she's still one of the best american singer-songwriters out there. So I thought we'd kick things off with a little Mary Gaucher, but do stick around because TJ Parcell is next.
Send us back, but I believe. 
Mary Gaucher, Bullet Holes in the Sky on The Brian Oak Show. I like songs that are not immediate or complex. I'm not, not you know, overly complex. I, I like songs that make you question exactly what's happening because that's not an anti-war song. That's not an anti-veteran song, but it is one that makes you think about the path we all take and what it's like. And with Veteran Day, Veterans Day rather, right in the rearview mirror, to me, that one just really, really resonated this morning. It's what I woke up with in my head. And sometimes you go with your gut, including talking to today's guest. So Sound Unseen is happening right now. An incredible array of films across many, many venues, also available online. Soundunseen.com is where you can find the full retinue the austin texas portion has already happened but that doesn't mean it's too late for you to enjoy it soundunseen.com to find out more and there are still many many more amazing films to come our guest right now is tj parcel he's a filmmaker and author and a human rights advocate who joined nyu production lab slate in 2018 now he spent a lot of his life working to end sexual violence in prisons and stopping the practice of sending juveniles who are obviously going to be automatic victims to adult jails and prisons. His advocacy stems from the fact that as a teenager and young adult, he spent more than a little time incarcerated himself. And it's very much my pleasure to welcome TJ Parcell to the Brian Oak Show. Good morning, TJ. How are you? Good morning, Brian. And thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be on your show. Yeah, well, I appreciate that very much. And, um, you know, this show really early on, it was just going to be musicians. But I found that, you know, turns out there are interesting stories everywhere you turn, <laughs> you know, uh, whether we're talking about filmmakers or entrepreneurs, chefs, religious leaders, whatever the case may be. Now, before we talk about your love of film and this incredible movie you've made, Invisible, Gay Women in Country Music, by the age of 21, you'd spent nearly a quarter of your life incarcerated. Uh, where, where did you grow up? Where do you come from? I grew up in Michigan. Uh, I'm a Midwest boy. Okay. Um, just right outside of Detroit in a town called Dearborn. Um, and, you know, as, as you kind of alluded to there, you know, I was a troubled kid um, from a troubled family. And um, I got into a lot of trouble. And, uh, you know, I robbed a photo mat with a toy gun, which was a pretty mm. stupid uh, stunt. And uh, sadly, it um, landed me in an adult prison for four years. So I kind of Oof. spent my late teenage years, my formative teenage years in a uh, adult correctional facility. And um, I think that so you've been you... No, I was just going to say, I, I, you know, that that experience is what uh, informed a lot of my life's advocacy work in terms of, of just, uh, you know, wanting to to uh, bring about change and, and uh, uh, keep kids out of adult prisons. And, and how do you do so like, you know, I come from a nonprofit background before I got into radio, but I was working on environmental issues, right? And there we're just sort of talking about this esoteric notion of <clears throat> making the world a better place for us all to live in. But when it comes to making real hard change in a system that is not really about change at all, what form does that advocacy take? Who do you have to talk to? What sort of what sort of things do you have to bring to bear in order to to evoke that sort of change where we're not putting kids in vulnerable situations around very hardened adults. Yeah, well, I, I think, you know, for me, it was really quite simple. It was a, a matter of, of just uh, telling my story. I mean, I think that's the, the biggest contribution I made to the cause. I mean, I for many years, I was involved um, with a human rights organization that was uh, instrumental in passage of the first ever federal legislation to address rape in prison. And um, I personally was involved in the, uh, 
some of the, uh, the, the formulation of standards that keep children from being housed in the same housing units as adults and keeping uh, uh, kids out of the adult system altogether by raising the age of adult criminal responsibility. But, you know, I think, I, you know, I got out of prison at 21, escaped to New York, put myself through college, landed in software, and I, I did well and did everything I could to try to just uh, put that experience away, but I couldn't. And uh, I think when I turned 40 was when I decided to, uh, you know, go back and, and do some work. And I thought the biggest contribution I could do is to try to put a human face on the issue, because it's easy for people in the abstract to just say, well, you don't want to be raped, stay out of prison, you know. Um, yeah. And uh, so, you know, I started by telling my story and writing a book about it and uh, using art um, as a, a vehicle for change. I mean, I think and that's kind of what landed me in film school. Um, you know, after my book came out, um, I had some folks who wanted to adapt it to a, uh, a feature film, and I'm a little bit of a control freak. And uh, <laughs> I thought, well, if anybody's going to ruin my book, I will. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> that I seems applied. reasonable, man. I mean, like, let me ruin it. All right. Let <laughs> me right. ruin it. I mean, how many times have we seen really good uh, books turned into terrible movies? And, and, uh, many, um, many, yeah. many, yeah. many, 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 many times. So, so let me yeah, ask you so, this. I mean, so, so you're an author. I, I'm sorry. I was just going to say, so you're an author and an advocate. That's not an automatic jump to film. Why and or how was it happenstance? Was it a lifelong passion? What put you in the direction of film when prior to that you were an author, an advocate, coming from a troubled youth? Film doesn't just fall in your lap, or sometimes it does. How do you end up deciding that film is going to be your milieu, that it's going to be your medium? Well, I, you know, when I was a kid, I loved movies. And I, I even with money from my paper route, I bought a, a Super 8 camera and a projector and I would make films. And then I think I just got distracted along the way. But I've always had a passion for film. Uh, and uh, but, you know, you know, fast forward a couple of decades and, uh, uh, you know, I wrote my book. Somebody wanted to adapt it. And there were those issues. But I but also um, in my advocacy work, you know, I, I put together some videos and I put them up on YouTube and they were getting a lot of traction. And it took me three years to write Fish. And, uh, you know, the book did well. It, it won a couple of awards. Um, it's still selling. I still get royalty checks from it. But um, I started getting hundreds of thousands of hits on my videos. And I think I, I kind of had that uh, that little light bulb went off looking at that, thinking, you know, if, if I want to use... Um, art as a vehicle for change here's a medium where you know i have such a much larger audience and i think that you know film has that power to uh change hearts and minds if you mm -hmm. can move people you can change their minds it's and so i think you know that it combination of those things is what you know brought me to nyu hat in hand um back you know i, I actually i was almost 50 years old um, but I applied to the NYU graduate film program and I said, you know, look, I want to adapt my film, my book into a, a film. Can you guys help me do that? And they said, absolutely. So they let an old dog like me into the program. See, I love that story because when I was a kid, you know, I mean, we're all three of us within a few years of each other. And when I was a kid, I had one of those old fashioned tape recorders where you had to press play <laughs> and record at the same time. And I would make made up radio shows in the unfinished basement of my parents' new home. And so I love the fact 
you saved up enough money, even from your ill-spent youth, to get yourself <laughs> a, a Super 8 camera and, and, you know, begin to create these things because there was something in your head that resonated with it. So you, you know, later in life than the vast majority of people come to film, you find yourself at NYU. So I don't want to go too far into it because I hate going too long without hearing a song. I would like to hear a song. But first, you had decided, so, I mean, you're trying to adapt your film, right? But at some point, you decide there are more things to advocate for there. You now have one of the most celebrated and interesting um, films at the Sound Unseen Festival called Invisible, a history of gay women working in Nashville, working in country music specifically, but you know what I mean, Nashville's obviously ground zero. Before we hear this first artist and you tell me about it, when did you first think this was a story you wanted to tell? Well, I, I'll tell you that this was a project that picked me. I didn't pick it. Um, uh, I had just moved to Nashville and a friend called me up and he said, TJ, um, I hear you're a filmmaker. I got this idea for a film. Do you want to have coffee? And I thought, yeah, sure. Everybody's got an idea for a film. <laughs> <laughs> what do you got? <laughs> um, and we sat down, we had coffee and he says, okay, gay women and country music. There's this whole network of gay women songwriters. They've written for everybody. Mm. And many of them are my friends. And I looked at this guy and I did the RCA dog thing. You know, I just went, huh? <laughs> and literally, literally three weeks from that coffee, I was sitting down interviewing Mary Gaucher. Mary was the first one. Wow. And, uh, you know, listen, I, I, I mean, immediately in my head, I had a bunch of questions for these women because I, I thought I can't imagine a more um, repressive industry than country music. And to be a gay woman, uh, how do you do that? How did they survive? How did they navigate uh, those forces? And uh, so, you know, I sat down with Mary and she just opened up. I, I mean, it was amazing. She had so much to say. And I just sat back in my chair and I thought, wow. And then a week later, uh, I think it was Bonnie Baker said, oh, Mary did it. I'll do it. And a week later, Jess Leary said, oh, Mary and Bonnie did it. I'll do it. And a week later, Kennedy Rose says, oh, Mary, Jess and Kai did it. I'm in. And the project just took off. And, uh, you know, so it was for me, it was a thing of like, this is an important story. And what these women have to say is uh, really powerful. I mean, I, I just could not believe how vulnerable they were willing to be. And, uh, you know, I think at the core of it, I mean, I know I, I, I'm not a musician, I'm not a songwriter, but I but I do know that. And Mary says this so well in the film, she says, for a song to be any good, you have to be vulnerable. You have to be honest. You have to be authentic. And so for me, that was the fascinating through line for this film is how do you do that in an industry that doesn't allow you that privilege to be yourself? And uh, I think as we explored that theme uh, throughout the film, I mean, we just touched on a number of, uh, of factors like, you know, what was it like for a lot of these women to grow up gay in the South? and the influences that their family and religion had. And, uh, you know, I, I think the one big takeaway that I hope people get from the film, because these women really had to navigate some pretty treacherous waters, um, yet in spite of all those forces, their artistry came through anyhow, their voices came through anyhow, and collectively they've made an indelible impact on music. I mean, I challenge anyone to look at the catalog of these women and uh, not have been moved uh, or had their, their artistry uh, impact their lives at some point or another. 
I agree wholeheartedly. And whether we're talking about country music or any style, we're going to talk a little bit about the legacy of some of the things these women have written, whether or not they made them hits themselves or they were covered by people and took them to number one, whatever it might be. But we've gone too long without a song. So please, TJ, tell me about Diane Davidson, because shockingly, yet another, and I'm sure there are many of them in your film, a woman's name I have never heard before and know nothing about. Give me the elevator speech on Diane and let's hear her song. Okay, Diane Davidson is um, someone who knew from four years old she was going to be an artist, a musician. Um, at, at 16 years old, she sat down and she wrote record companies and she said, I'm going to do a record. Do you want to do it with me? At hmm. 17, she moved to Nashville. And by 21, she had four albums, which in the 70s was not an easy thing to do. Um, incredibly talented woman, but on her fourth album, she had a lesbian love song and that killed her career. Do you think you could love me? Do you even want to try? Did you Love is 
And it's, it's suddenly not surprising to learn that she's toured as a member of Linda Ronstadt's backing band, and she's provided backing vocals for literal living legends, B.B. King, Tammy Wynette, Barry Manilow, Leon Russell. But the quality of the songwriting and, you know, TJ, you brought up a very, very interesting thing. It's something we say routinely on more episodes than not when it comes to an artist's output, regardless of what medium that artist you know, executes their toil in, when you get there, you believe them, right? I mean, like, if you mm -hmm. don't believe it, art is not going to transport you. Filmmaking, baking, whatever the case may <laughs> be, right? Um, and and wow, that I mean, that voice, I can't, how is it possible oh. an artist of that magnitude I've never heard of before? Diane Davidson, right there on the Brian Oak Show. Excellent pull. What was it like to talk to her for your film? You know, Brian, I knew nothing about Diane when I first sat down to interview her. And, uh, I, you know, I, I usually do several interviews um, uh, during the course of making the film. But uh, when I first sat down with her, I knew nothing. And, it, and I like it that way. You know, it's, it's like set the camera up over the shoulder. Let's have a conversation. Let me discover who you are real time. Mm -hmm. And by the end of that hour, I was absolutely in love with this woman. I, she's just, she is such a, a, an authentic and as real as you get and, and funny. I, I mean, <laughs> she, she's uh, the heart, I, I think, of our film and uh, have people laughing throughout. Um, but it was a few weeks later that I, I went to hear her perform. And uh, I, I, I actually I brought my camera and I was tucked away in a corner and she started singing. And when she sang that song, Tonight I'll Dream, Dream uh, You Care, my viewfinder kept misting up because I was so mm. moved by her voice, her authenticity, uh, the lyrics, um, everything about it. And then I started to get really angry because I was thinking for all these years, for all these decades, we've been deprived of this talent and this mm. voice for such a stupid reason. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Why did it matter? Why should have it mattered? It, mm. it shouldn't have mattered. Um, and I, I think we were very lucky because the time that I met Diane and she had just moved back to Nashville and, you know, she had spent uh, years 
Um, and she took a job in, in corporate America and the people she worked with had no idea she was even a musician. Mm. Oh. So, you know, to, to hear this voice and, mm. and talent. Um, and then, you know, I think we were just very lucky because, you know, over the course of making the film, Diane started performing again. And, uh, you know, we went out to San Francisco and uh, visited uh, Linda Ronstadt. She hadn't seen Linda in years. And, uh, you know, she sang this very song to uh, Linda. Uh, you know, Linda, uh, of course, has um, um, uh, an illness and can no longer sing. Mm. Um, likes yeah. to have her friends who are musicians come perform for her. And it was just a, you know, an incredibly powerful moment in our film. And in fact, so much so that Linda did sing for us and with Diane in the film. And I, 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 we have uh, what I believe is the last recorded instance of Linda Ronstadt singing on camera anywhere. Wild. Well, the film is called Invisible, Gay Women in Country Music. It is one of the beating hearts because I believe there are probably multiple ones, depending on what you're into and what you believe and what you want to see, that's part of this year's Sound Unseen Music Festival, internationally recognized as one of the greatest American film festivals. And if you're a music head, very possibly the best film festival in America that's happening now. And we're talking to director TJ Parcell, who has done Invisible Gay Women in Country Music. Before we continue the conversation, we need to hit one more sponsor, and those will be our friends at Forgotten Star Brewing. Forgotten Star is located in Fridley, Minnesota, in a beautiful World War II facility. I just say that because it used to be a factory for making war machines, and now what they make is reliable, low art, not low, you know, <laughs> not low rent, but no art beer, reliable, regular beer recipes for people who enjoy that sort of thing. You're not going to find elderberries in your <laughs> lager, right? I mean, it's just, it's not what they do. They, they like to find good recipes and keep people happy. They got a great indoor and outdoor facility there. They're located right on the railroad track. So it's got this cool industrial vibe. These two towering stacks that go into the sky. You cannot for you, you, you cannot miss it. If you are within a half mile, you will see where Forgotten Star is. It's an incredible facility dog friendly inside and out they're also great people and we really appreciate their support ongoing of the brian oak show so tj you start to put this film together you start to talk to all of these incredible marginalized artists right and it's a story that you already probably could have guessed right that we all could have guessed that oh really nashville wasn't accommodating to the gay woman even, <laughs> even regardless of how talented she was we all could have guessed that it would have been like that there but there had to be further insights there had to be deeper i don't know storylines there had to be you know these weird waves of subtlety like i'm sure that there were people along the way who you know not everybody there was a monster right there had to be people who were like I don't care who you're sleeping with. Keep cranking out these songs because the number of, of hits and number one songs and things that have been covered, Willie Nelson, Garth Brooks, Reba McIntyre, Tim McGraw have all taken some of these women's songs to number one. I mean, were there, was there any, obviously you're not surprised by the fact that there was, you know, prejudice, but were there other things that you were surprised by in doing your exploration and your digging? Oh, there were so many, um, you know, I, you know, again, um, Brian, as I said earlier, I, you know, I, I think, you know, the the thing that that fascinated me the most was the, these women's individual journeys. How did they navigate this um, uh, this industry um, and the forces that that wanted to keep them quiet? And, and you know, they 
the we have 12 um, women in our film and one trans man or 11 women uh, and one trans man in the film and their journeys are, are all unique um, similar in some cases but but unique I mean some of some of the women like Diane Davidson or even Mary Gaucher you know Mary Gaucher says look there's no closet big enough for this you know, <laughs> it's what we call in the trade obvious ones um, right. yeah. Um, and then there were others like Kai Fleming. Kai Fleming is an artist in our film who's written so many number one hits. She doesn't know how many she's written, including wow. Smoky Mountain Rain, the Tennessee State song. Wow. Um, when Kai Fleming came to Nashville, she had immediate success. Her and her writing partner within six months had six songs on Barbara Mandrell's album. And wow. they were songwriters of the year for their first three years in a row. So for Kai Fleming, the stakes were immediately apparent, apparent to her. She knew that she could not be out at that time. It would have been career suicide. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, she, she put her sexuality on the shelf. And I think when my friend Bill came to me with the idea for the film, I, you know, personally, I spent 20 years in the software industry in the, in the 80s and 90s at a time when it was not okay to be out. And so for me personally, it was a business decision. I, I played the pronoun game. I was in the closet. I knew what that cost me. And so I, I think that's that was the, the the thing that I wanted to explore with these women. And, uh, you know, I, I think probably the big surprise along the way is, you know, I started to scratch my head and wonder how much of what these women were dealing with was because they were gay and how much of it's because they're women. Hmm. And it's the misogyny in that industry is uh, uh, just appalling. There are so many men, so many old guards that are uh, in positions of power that are not yield, willing to yield that power um, all so quickly. Um, and women in general um, are just there. You know, there used to be a rule in country radio that you could only play two women for every 10 men and never yes. two in a row. Yep. So uh, having worked in radio, I, I hate to break it to you, uh, that rule still exists today. Now, while there have been enough female crossover pop stars and things like that, you will occasionally hear a back-to-back -back woman. But when I started in radio more than 25 years ago, that was absolutely the rule. It was unstated, but also occasionally stated that, no, 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 we don't play back-to-back -back female artists. And it was regardless of genre. And I can only imagine the country music would be even worse. I mean, you think mm -hmm. about the success of women in pop music, but that mm -hmm. is one of the unspoken but widely recognized rules. We just don't play you never play two female artists back to back even if you're a woman leaning station it's it's insanity it has always blown my mind so whenever i have an opportunity to drop a song during an hour the dude's always getting dropped between two women because fuck that that is not okay. <laughs> good for you <laughs> it's not okay man it, it, it's so outdated and so ludicrous when you think about you know fine let's even just focus on country music think about the number of genuine legends, female legends of country music, whether they're cisgendered or not. Why, why would that ever be a thing? But for some reason, as you talk about this old guard, I, they, they're not dying off fast enough, right? I'm getting old. And so I just, it, it's got to change at some point, right? It does indeed. And, you know, there was a study done in 2019 of country radio airplay and women only got 13% airplay. That mm -hmm. is appalling. 
ah! All right, well, we're going to change that right now. I want to talk to you more about your film. I want to talk to you about more of what the future looks like for you. Uh, and I want to talk to you more about Invisible because this seems like a wildly important film. And I myself happen to have perched a pass for Sound Unseen. So I have a link and I don't have anything else going on later on this afternoon. So I will be watching your film this afternoon. But we need to get another song in here because we don't have all kinds of time. Tell me about Shelley. Shelly Wright. Well, that's, uh, you know, Shelly is a artist who, who played the, uh, the, uh, 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 she played the game. She was in the closet. She put her sexuality on the shelf and it cost her dearly to the point where she literally had a pistol in her mouth and uh, was going to kill herself because she could not do it anymore. Oof. And she caught sight of herself in the mirror and she started crying and she said, you know what? I can't live this way anymore. And so she made a decision to come out. She came out in a very orchestrated way. And you know what? Nashville just shut the door. And it wasn't like they slammed the door. It was just a very quiet, subtle click. And it destroyed her career. Um, it took me a year and a half to get Shelly uh, on board in the project. And I, I think part of it is because she was bruised. I mean, she was very hurt. Um, by it. And this was even though she was friends with Mary Gaucher, she was friends with Bonnie Baker. They were also trying to convince her to come on board. It, it took her a while, um, but she did. And I think her story is, is really an important one. And, you know, one of the, just to backtrack for a second before you go into Shelley's story, I mean, one of the, um, the big surprises for me in the making of the film was the power of country radio. Country radio oh. has uh, enormous impact on whether someone has a career or not in country yes. music. And it is laden with men. And the sexual harassment that artists have to put up mm -hmm. with to get radio airplay, they have to go out on the circuit. They have to meet mm -hmm. the program directors. They have to meet the, uh, the on-air personalities. They, it's why Taylor Swift, uh, some DJ had the, uh, the audacity to squeeze her butt for a bet. Mm -hmm. You know, this kind of sexual harassment that goes on is appalling. And I had a very difficult time getting the artists on camera to want to talk about it. And Shelley was one of the few that was willing to um, talk about it because she doesn't, you know, have a horse in, in this race any longer, unfortunately, because of, of, uh, of radio. Um, so I, I'm, I'm uh, when Shelley came out, there was a, a radio uh, a disc jockey in, I think it was Alabama, somewhere in the deep south. They actually said to her, you know, why do I have to hear about this uh, from you? Why, you know, it's there's some things that we just don't care about. You know, we want you like your song, shut up and, and drive. We want you to just shut up and sing. Shut up and drive. You don't know what you're talking about. He's not the one. You ought to know that by now You've got one of those hearts That keeps changing your mind Your heart has a way of making you stay So shut up and drive Don't look in the mirror He might have that look in his eyes The one that's so strong Strangles your will to survive He's mastered the art Of looking sincere His eyes have a way Of making you stay Don't look in the mirror
perspective of who and where Shelley has come from, who she is and where she's come from. That song takes on such a wildly more in-depth uh, connotation, right? Like the context is is crucial in these things, but that's not the world we live in. Sadly, TJ, we are running very short on time. Um, and so I want to ask you what I think is an important question. This this document that you've made is genuinely incredible and I think a wildly important part of the ever-evolving story of where we're at and who we are, not just in terms of the music industry, but in terms of a people, right? In terms of how we treat one another, what we say to one another, what we're allowed, what we're willing to accept, where we're willing to grow. And there's no question things have changed. But when I think about, you know, even a cisgendered woman, right, going through Nashville, the grind must have been almost impossible and terrible, you know, going back to what you were talking about, about the levels of harassment, the, the levels of smiling and nodding that must go on, let alone someone who identifies anywhere on the queer spectrum, a mind bender. Um, in making your film and watching and seeing what you've seen in the course of making Invisible, do you feel obviously we're not there we're clearly not there but do you feel that things are at least incrementally or slowly moving in the right direction you know culturally i think we're we're uh, uh we've advanced a lot as a as a country um but i think nashville in particular and country music especially 
we have a long way to go. Um, and, uh, you know, change doesn't come quietly. I think, you know, I, I think we, we've got to, um, we need work like uh, Invisible and we need um, artists like Shelley who are willing to um, do what's right. Um, I, you know, we had, we had some artists uh, uh, that we wanted in the film that, uh, you know, everyone in Nashville knows is gay, but they're not out to their audience. And, right. uh, you know, that we have another young artist who was slated to be in the film and her middle-aged heterosexual uh, manager talked her out of it. Um, and, uh, you know, so, you know, I mean, I, I just, you know, it's still a problem. It's still a big problem. Without question. And, and that I understood. I just, I'm hoping that slowly through films like Invisible and people slowly growing up and maybe some of the old guard aging out and Nashville being ground zero for music, not even just country anymore. Nashville is America's ground zero for music writing and production and everything else. I'm just hoping that as the younger end of that guard moves in, we slowly continue to grow. Before we wrap up with um, TJ Parcell, who is the director of this truly important film, film invisible uh which you can watch right now soundunseen.com buy your badge watch all the movies because there's stuff across the spectrum you're like i don't care about country music <laughs> i don't care about the the fight of whoever fine there's all kinds of stuff out there but you should care <clears throat> and the learning and the connective tissue of what happens in the music industry is a huge fascination point of what we do here on this particular podcast i need to thank our patreon members i need to thank the good people at audio Equip, nate and his entire crew if you need sound equipment they are the ones to go through. Um, and thanks to everybody for listening for 202 episodes. I really still can't quite believe it happened. Uh, thank you very much, Sean. Appreciate it, Ben. Th thank you. All right. Um, hey, can, I, can I just very quickly uh, congratulate Sean on his eight years? Yeah, uh, yeah. it's a big deal. And uh, Sean, I'm, I'm happy to tell you that our film has hundreds, hundreds of years of sobriety in it. Oh, my gosh. I, yes, so sir. I wanted to ask you one final question myself. And it's how have you been able to heal from your childhood? And have you been able to forgive yourself and your parents? Uh, yes, and not without a lot of work. Great. Um, you know, I quit drinking at 27. That's and, terrific. Uh, you know, that got me into uh, therapy, and I've spent years in therapy. And I think a lot that's what informs a lot of my artistry. You know, a lot of my that's work great. is taking those demons and transforming them into yeah. vehicles for change. And That's uh, so great. I applaud any and everybody that uh, does that. And, you know, again, I, you know, there's so many people in our film that uh, and behind the scenes <laughs> yeah. that are sober for decades. Once you become sober, you start to realize that you're not the only one. That's right. This That's idea. Right. So it's kind of crazy. And water finds its own level. You know, it's, yes. it's just it's sort of, a, yeah. you know, I mean, many people have said to me, how did you get these artists to be so vulnerable? And it's like, I just showed up. Uh, yeah. you know and and they did it and uh they did yeah. it as a result of many years of uh of recovery well thanks for your work all yeah, of it uh, thank, you. thank you yeah tj so uh congratulations on creating a genuinely important expressive moment in art i know filmmaking is not easy uh obviously it's years in the making and then the document comes out but it's being so widely celebrated that i hope you realize that you've done something not only important but enjoyable and informative mm -hmm. do you continue to do you plan on making more films do you have anything else in the hopper that you're thinking about down the road i i, I do and i i'll just say quickly that the uh you know making invisible has been one of the the privileges of my mm -hmm. life because i've absolutely fallen in love with every one of these women and, and feel transformed by the experience. 
Um, yeah, I'm back to working on fish now, my uh, adapting my uh, memoir into a feature. Um, so that's uh, what I hope to be my next project. When will it be done? Uh, well, I'm just finishing up the script now, and uh, then we're moving into pre-production. So and uh, anybody out there that's listening that wants to help, uh, we can always use uh, another executive producer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, that's why I thank our Patreon members, because without <laughs> them, we don't exist. Hey, TJ, do me a favor, man, because I feel like fish is an entirely different animal. Not entirely different, but it's its own creation. Can we, when you get closer, when you've moved further along the path, would you be willing to come back on and talk about that? Because I feel like that is a, that's a whole different world that also needs to be addressed. And it, it sounds like an impossibly fascinating, painful, thoughtful and creative story. And I would really, really be privileged to be able to talk to you about that somewhere down the road. I, you know, Brian, I'd, I'd be happy to, you know, when I was at, in film school, my second year project, I went back to the very prison I was in mm. and shot a short film in the very cell I was in. And mm. I'll tell you that it was, the most, it was the most empowering moment of my life Yeah, because I got to go into this place and say, you know what? You didn't destroy me. Oh. And now I get to come in here with a lens and shine for the entire world what the hell goes on to our children. Right. And, uh, you mm. know, I kind of feel the same way with, uh, you know, what we're doing with Invisible. You know, we're shining a light on a, a situation that needs to change. Mm -hmm. And I think that as people come in and they see and they realize, I've heard it every time we've screened the film, we've been in 30 festivals. And every mm -hmm. time people say, I had no idea this was going on. And right. as an activist, as an artist yeah. who uses this me medium as a vehicle for change, that's the greatest high in the world. My God, Fantastic. it's been wonderful, wonderful <laughs> to talk to you, TJ. This, I, like, I could use it seriously. Like, yeah. there should be a crowd of people here. We should be having a symposium, <laughs> and there should be a round of applause. Unfortunately, we've got to wrap things up, but I'm hanging on to your information, and I'm also going to send you mine. And when Fish is at a point where you'd like to start talking about it, even if it's still well in the future, I would love to dive deeper into that story. Uh, before we bid you our final farewell here, soundunseen.com is the website. It is an incredible music festival, 22 years in the making that offers these kinds of insights on the regular, not to diminish the impact of this particular film, but this is what this is about. Sometimes videos, sometimes documentaries, sometimes fiction, but if you love music and its power to transport and, and, and change and to make people make commitments to things that on the outside seem very, very foolish, Sound Unseen is something you should be a part of. And you can get yourself a badge and watch all these films. The premiere already happened, but you can still watch it online. And I highly recommend it. Soundunseen.com. Before we bid you a final farewell, TJ, please tell me about Bonnie Baker. Bonnie Baker is a incredible artist who was very reluctant to come to the film. Uh, uh, well, let me, let me backtrack. When Bonnie Baker first sat down to interview with us, it was right on the heels of the Women's March and she was all fired up and all charged, but she had never been out, had never talked about her sexuality. And in the process of doing that, it opened up some stuff for her. And this song came out of that. So this was the first time that Bonnie wrote something that was autobiographical. And you can hear from the very first chord of this song, it's a deeply personal song. And uh, it was a real triumph for her. We tracked the development of the song throughout the film and uh, it is a powerful film. It was released in June when we had our premiere for Invisible. And uh, it is um, a song and a, um, uh, a triumph for Bonnie. And, and I hope you'll love it as much as, as we all do. 
PJ, thank you very much. You have a great one, man. Thanks for being on thank the you. Brian Oak Show. Thank you, man. Thanks for having me. Thanks again. Does anybody hear me scream? I'm doing it on 